Thanks, uh, Vince. Yeah, I about Vince. Vince doesn't know this, but uh, coming out of a, I'll tell you my story here in a second. But there's a period in my life where I was in a legalistic uh, church, and there was very uh, there was kind of secular moments. You go to work, you listen to music, and then there was like uh, like church moments, right? There's this uh, divide between secular and sacred. And I remember uh, Vince and I were setting up chairs, and we were playing his playlist. And we were listening to music, and it was like, I can only imagine, I think, is mercy me or whatever. And then it was like third day. And then it was like casting crowns, and then it was like Tupac. And I was like, what is going on right now? Like, that's not allowed. Um, and so I re- he was a big component that moment for some re- whatever reason. Anyway, and then I found out I haven't really liked him ever since. But um, Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about me so you know where I am. And just update, I, it's cool to be able to preach at another congregation because... I could see what's going on here just as lead pastor of another congregation, and I can share with you guys a little bit about us. Um, so I'll get there just so you know a little bit about me so I'm not jumping up here uh, and you're kind of blind to where I'm coming from. So I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, um, both my parents uh, growing up were drug addicts, meth addicts. They both made and manufactured meth. Uh, and so I didn't hear about Jesus or God. My mom was this kind of quasi-Jehovah's Witness. Uh, it wasn't until about high school when um, I'd went through, I was in and out of foster care uh, for a big portion of my life and then um, ended up in high school deciding uh, that I didn't want to be with my dad and be with my mom. I was going to kind of go do, do my own thing, get a job and just be out. But before I did that, I was with my dad. My mom was in prison at the time and um, I was with my buddy who my mom and his mom were best friends. We were staying together for the summer and his mom would, would tell him about the book of Revelation and uh, she was also a meth addict and so she's kind of telling the story of the Bible, the book of Revelation on meth, right? You can imagine. And so, so he starts to tell me one night after we played Twisted Metal, this game Twisted Metal, if you guys ever remember that, yeah, classic. And uh, so we beat the whole game of Twisted Metal with Warthog and um, as we finished, we laid down, it was like 3 a.m., and he asked me if I think when we die, we're going to go to heaven. I, you know, natural response is, yes, of course, we're a good person, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he starts to tell me all of the book of Revelation, like everything his mom would tell him. He's like, well, I'm glad we're going to heaven. Good night. And he goes to sleep, and I don't sleep at all, right? Because at this point, I'm worried about scorpions falling from the sky, uh, just crazy stuff. And so I don't sleep. I'm kidding you not. It's Saturday. I wake him up at like seven. I said, hey, Eric, get up. We're going to church this morning. And I don't know where. So we start walking in this neighborhood. We're in this like ghetto part of, uh, of Phoenix. And we end up at this place called Faith Covenant Church. It was a highly charismatic church. I'll never forget it. There's this woman preaching, long white hair. There's maybe 15 people in the room. Uh, people randomly stand up waving flags, speaking in tongues, right? It was, it was like my home life, like where I was at my <laughs> meth house. So I was like, cool, you know, and so we're tripping out. We're tripping out of just what's going on. Well, I, that, I mean, that day, honestly, I gave my heart to the Lord. It was a crazy encounter, just how God used that whole situation. That church ends up closing down. I end up getting discipled by this guy named Luke who was there, um, and he just walks me through the Bible. He ends up taking me to an Assembly of God church uh, that was in Scottsdale at the time, and I was there for 10 years, ended up becoming a pastor on staff there and served there for eight of those 10 years in youth ministry, missions, and all that stuff. Had the opportunity to travel around the world doing missions work and all that. Well, um, at the time, I'm struggling with, within this Assemblies of God church, there's a lot of inklings of the prosperity gospel. And so um, I'm kind of getting hinges of this and kind of seeing what's going on in the prosperity gospel and name it, claim it theology. And I'm kind of like, ah, this is a mess. Well, at the time, I was 
also going on Mill Avenue, if you're familiar with Tempe, going on Mill Avenue on like 4th of July, and I was the bullhead uh, speaker guy. I was there like preaching to people, um, but there was a guy across the street who was like really mean about it. So I like took the other approach. I was like, God loves you. You know, am I trying to like combat whatever's being said? Well, eventually I'm having these conversations and people are coming to faith and I don't know where to send them to church. So I, um, I talk with one guy, he ends up coming to faith and he says, I'll go to church if you go with me. And so he ends up finding this church. And I was like, okay, cool. So we end up going to this place called Praxis. We go there on a Sunday night. I hear the preaching and they're going just through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I'm tripping out. I've never heard something like this before. And I'd been saved at that point, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years uh, of my life and fit maybe 12 years of my life. Never heard somebody just go through the, the, the Bible like that. And so I kind of start sneaking over there. There's a hard, fast rule at the church I was at, legalism, uh, that you weren't allowed to visit other churches. So I, I start sneaking over and eventually I start bringing people. Matter of fact, one time I taped cardboard on the side of our church van so it wouldn't say our name and drove like 15 people to Praxis. <laughs> Okay, so I'm sneaking over there on Sunday nights, bringing people, and it just infatuates what's going on, and really, I'm starting to feel like God's calling me to church plant in the somebody's God world. There's not a lot of language for that, um, and so I start talking with this guy named Justin at the time, and I end up making the move. Eventually, when Praxis became Redemption, which is Redemption Tempe at this time, uh, made the move over there, was there for about a year, and then ended up going to Arcadia to do a residency for three years at Redemption Arcadia. My wife, uh, who's Candace, I met in high school. Uh, we have four kids, three biological, one adopted, 11, nine, which is the two boys, and then uh, uh, six and three, which is our two girls. Our youngest is uh, a Hispanic little Latino. She's feisty. Um, and she's three. She's awesome. She's, we picked her up from the hospital. Um, so we decided at that moment we were at Arcadia. At first, we were thinking about planting in Lake Havasu, um, and by the Lord's grace, we didn't do that. Um, <laughs> So we ended up in the West Valley through a long orchestration of things, just communities growing and building. And then we planted in 2015. Uh, we started with just uh, about 80 people, maybe a little less, 60 people. And now on average, the summer is always a little bit lower, but we average when school kicked back in, seven, 800 people on a Sunday and God's just growing it. Uh, it's really, really cool in the last four years. Um, and so anyway, just that's kind of where we are, uh, how I know Vince and, and a little bit about me so I can kind of jump in to Philippians and you guys aren't like, who's this dude, right? So um, we've already prayed like 15 times here, which is way more than we pray in Peoria. So I'm not gonna pray over our text. Um, I'm gonna jump in. And here's, here's where I want to jump in if you aren't aware of how, how this works as we kind of go through verse by verse. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians. And here, let me give you a quick story as to how we're going to jump in and why understanding the book of Philippians is important. I was at this sporting event about two months ago, and I'm sitting behind this elderly woman and this elderly man, and she turns around, and she has a brand new iPhone, and she says, excuse me, would you be able to help me turn this on, right? And I just want to know how to use it. And I'm like, what? Sure. So just you swipe over, right? And, um, and, uh, and she's like, um, this is a code. She's like, what's the code? Oh yeah. So you have to enter a code. She has these brand new iPhones. I have no idea, probably close to a thousand dollars. Her husband, I have to show them how to use it. Right. And I'm in, in this whole moment and I'm thinking one, somebody clearly like sold these people, these iPhones that they don't need. Um, because he eventually goes to me, yeah, I use it probably, I send out a text about once a month, and so it's for, good for me to know. He's like, do you call on it? He's like, no, I don't really use the call feature. I'm like, well, nobody calls it call features. <laughs> so so he's, he uses this, this cell phone, and he has an unlimited plan. He goes on to tell me an unlimited plan where he texts once a month, brand new iPhones, and I'm thinking, dear Lord, you have no idea what you have right now, as I have my iPhone 4, right? And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there as I'm trying to navigate this, 
And I just thought to myself when I was thinking through Philippians as, as we kind of got going, and the more I read it over and over, I was thinking that moment kind of was a symbolic uh, um, idea that kind of came to my mind. And it's that here what, here's what Philippians is doing. We've been given by God this crazy thing called salvation, this very complex um, yet very simple thing uh, called salvation. And we, we, need, we need to understand how it works and, and sometimes it's this amazing, beautiful, big thing. If you think about the salvation of your souls, the reconciliation of all things, this is a crazy thing that we just commonly talk about. You want to be saved? Like, do you know what you're saying in that moment, how big of a deal this is? Well, Philippians helps us understand that. Philippians helps us navigate this really, really complex and uh, simple thing that we kind of oversimplify uh, to, to some aspects. And so that's what Philippians has been doing. In each section over the course of nine weeks, we're given these kind of coffee mug verses, uh, if you haven't recognized that. And today we're going to get that again when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, and, and I want to unpack that and spend a lot of time there. So let me, let me jump right in. Uh, we are in, if you're, you're not aware, chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. That is where we are, right, Vince? Same, same congregation, same text. Hope you guys didn't cover that last week. Sounds right. Um, so here's where we were last week. Um, we spent a, uh, I, I think probably the most, or one of the most famous sections in all of Philippians, we spent some time unpacking the beauty of Jesus as a servant. This is what we heard in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what was unpacked last week, this, um, this great unfolding of look at who Christ is, doesn't count himself, doesn't count equality as a thing to be grasped, but puts himself in a posture to serve, right? Even to the point of death, he serves uh, uh, his people, his church, by dying for them on the cross. And because of this, we can recognize one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That, that's this, this is the iPhone. This is this brand new, this, wow, this is a crazy thing. And here's the first word after we hear all of this. This is our text, text because of this. The first word is, therefore. So because of all of this being true, let's look at Jesus. Let's ponder him for a second. Let's see how magnificent he is. Let's see how much he served. Let's see at the end of the ages what it's going to be like. Because that's true, there is something that needs to take place. Therefore, because that's true, this is what it says. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only uh, as in my presence, but much more in my absence. If you're not familiar, um, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter, and he knows the Philippian church really well, really, really well. As a matter of fact, if you read in the book of Acts, uh, he ends up introducing to Christ the first people who are part of this church. And he knows them, and he recognizes, I've been with you, and because of what we know of Jesus Christ, I ask you to obey. And now that I'm not here, not there with you, I'm asking you to obey. And here's a real simplification of, of what we need to see. We look at Jesus, we see what he has done, we see his example, we see what eternity is going to be like. Therefore, the proper response is we obey. The proper response is we obey. And hear me, um, I know this is kind of like old school, 
Like, like I know it's an old-time religion to go like we, we obey. Like, but, but hear me, listen, the, the, res, the right response is to recognize you have philosophies, ideologies, and political views that you think are right. But hear me, it's okay. You're not. There are things about you that you think, you, you, no, this is, but, but we are constantly being formed into the one at the end of the day, at the end of the ages, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so a proper response, Paul says in this moment is, so we obey. Now let's talk about, let's spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking that idea. He goes on to say this, my beloved, as you've obeyed now, so also uh, my presence, but much more in my absence. He goes on to say the famous part here where we're going to spend a majority of our time at the end of 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the idea um, put in front of us is we obey because of what Jesus has done, and then we use this statement, and, and um, because I didn't get saved till about halfway through my life, I'm 34 now, I got saved when I was about 16 years old, when I was introduced to the church, there was a lot of words that were used that I had no idea that you were supposed to use and not use, and I would hear this term quite often, just work out your salvation, and I got to be straight with you, there were moments where I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, I have no idea, what do you mean? Not even just tangibly, how do I work it out? What are you saying? And so I, I wanna take a moment, this Christianese language, can we just stop real quick? And if I was in Peoria in this moment, um, I would call us as a congregation to meditate real quick. When you hear that, that statement, work out your own salvation, let's just start with like, work out. What do you like think of? What do you process here? Like if you were just to process this to work out your own salvation, because even work out is not very helpful. I thought of, I wrote down uh, seven different ways we use the word work out just in our own culture. Uh, I won't read all of them to you, but listen, we use, um, we can work out our differences. Is, is that what he means? Work out your own salvation. We obviously have the term you work out at the gym. That's an easy one. Um, we can use it in an area of a particular end or particular way, meaning if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to blah, 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 right? Workout, is that what it is? Uh, it's also, it also could be a math term, right? So if you're working on something, uh, your mortgage works out to $700 a month or whatever it is. There's, I, I thought of seven different ways. I won't go through all of them. My point is this. We use this term, and I don't even know if we fully know what it means, and it's kind of complicated. What makes it a little more complicated is this. When you hear work out your own salvation, you hear you're supposed to do something. So not to drop Greek for Greek's sake, but just uh, knowing this, let's drop Greek for Greek's sake, okay? Um, workout is really interesting because uh, the term is in something called the passive middle, which let me explain what that is. In English, we have ways to talk to one another. If I have a ball and I throw that ball, I am actively throwing the ball. But if somebody throws a ball to me, I am the receiving or the recipient of the ball. I am the passive agent of that ball, okay? I've received what that is. When you hear work out your salvation, Jesus has done what he has done, and therefore, as we obey, we're working out what we've received in Christ. You think I need to act, but that's not what this is in. It's not in an active voice. You are not the one throwing the ball. You are working out your salvation. It is in a passive middle, meaning you are submitting to what God wants to do in you. So if that isn't complicated enough, then we have this next term, you're to work out your own salvation. So here's another term. I'm just going to complicate this whole text for you and then let Vince explain it next week, okay? Um, 
here's, here's what we have. We're working out this salvation. Another term that was used as I came to faith is like, you're saved. And honestly, I remember the first time somebody said, say this prayer. I said the prayer and they go, well, now you're saved. And I go, saved from, from what? What am I saved from? I was looking through uh, um, some scriptures. Let me show you. I have them on the screen. So when you hear your salvation, look at, look at this. Uh, so here's how the Bible talks about saved. And we use this language. I don't even know if we're familiar with this in the church sometimes. In Romans 8, 24, it says you were saved. This is in the past tense, right? Um, in the present tense in Jude 1, 23, it says you are saved. If you were to read Romans 10, 9, and 13, which are uh, uh, usually about people confessing their salvation, it says you will be saved. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says that you're being saved. So let's, let's con- like, make this really complicated. Here is Jesus. We know who he is. We recognize what he's done, and we are to follow him with everything that we are. And the problem is we fail. We, we, we can't be perfectly obedient. And so what we're doing is we're working out how to be obedient. We're working out that salvation. Here's the issue. I don't know if we process what does it mean to work out and what does it mean to be saved? What are all these things? So, so as we continue to go on, let's, let's keep going. Let's add to this text a little bit more, and then uh, I hope to make somewhat of a sense to this, uh, all of this. It says this, with fear and trembling, and then it goes on, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so let's tie all this in, and I hope I can now make this make sense, okay? Um, there's $200 words that I think would be good for you to know if you're new to Christianity, or maybe you haven't heard these things, and maybe if you're not, you're aware of these words. There's first uh, a word called justification, or justify, and we use this word a lot um, in the Christian world. You don't hear it a lot outside of the Christian world, maybe inside the courtroom or whatever it is. But the idea is this, when Jesus died for your sins, this is Christianity 101, he justified you. You now can stand before God and God sees you the way he sees Jesus, which is perfect and complete. This is why Hebrews 10, 14 says, uh, uh, um, it says something good. I forget, I memorize it, but I forget what it is, okay? Oh, he is perfect. I don't know. Forget it. Okay. Uh, just go read Romans 10, 14 to understand what, what, what I'm getting at there. So here's justification is on the table, right? You are justified. You, you've been made complete. And that's why those kind of things are confusing, right? Because we haven't been saved yet, but at the same time, we are currently saved. We have a security in this. This is Colossians 1 and Philippians 1. So if that's true, here's justification. Here's another $100 word. One day, all of this that you're, you're struggling with, the pornography, the, 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 the greed, the anger, whatever struggle you want to put on the table, one day that will be no more because of justification. One day, a $100 word is, you will be glorified, glorification. One day you will stand before God and you will be made complete. Here's the problem. Going from the idea that you now know you're justified, you're not acting like that right now, are you? Naturally, that's not happening. And so here's the last $100 word, the word sanctification. In this process, what we're doing is we now have been told we are something else. We are a new creation. We one day will be glorified. And so what Jesus is doing within us is he's making us what we already are or what we will be. He is turning you into who you're going to be. So we do this as parents. Right now, my oldest child is uh, Corbin. He's 11 years old. He is not a godly husband and father. He's not. I would kill him if he was, right? Okay, he, he, he's not, but, but I have this projection of him that one day if he wants to get married and have children, I am training him as if he is. So I don't let him get away when he does a job halfway. 
Because I'm a good father, I'm shaping him into the direction of what he will be. Now, he's not there yet, so the analogy begins to fall short. But we are justified. Uh, Our glorification is already set in heaven. And now God is saying, no, no, listen, this is what conviction is. This is every time you're looking at the screen or you're looking at him or her or you're doing whatever you shouldn't be doing, whatever's going on in your heart. In those moments, what the Spirit is doing is going, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Remember, the reason you can't get away from that anymore is because you're a son or daughter of a different father now. You can't get away from that anymore. And so God loves you enough, if you want to fondle the things of the world, to cut off your hands. He loves you enough to say, listen, because I care about you, I'm shaping you in this direction. And this is what it means. He is in you working this out. And and as to how we begin to define uh, the Greek isn't helpful here. As to how we can understand what working it out, it's, it's really not helpful. It seems to almost play into all these things. There's a working out of we work out with Jim. It, it ends up being the sum total. It, it's, it's this very confusing idea that what God is doing within us right now is making us something in the future, but shaping it already currently. And, and it's, it's beautiful. And honestly, if you're a believer, I, I hope you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, that's okay. It, it is a very confusing concept. But, but if you do follow Jesus, I, I think it's fair to say um, you probably understand what it means right now to know you're saved, but being formed into the image in which Jesus has already made you. And, and, that, and, that, and that's something really, really cool. So it goes on, as it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God works in you uh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So with that being said, I want to just, the four words at the end there, and then we're going to move to verse uh, 14. It says, with fear and trembling. Can I just say this? Everything I just talked about up to this point, um, it gives us a how we're supposed to do that. And so just, um, I know I'm not the pastor of uh, Redemption Flagstaff, but can I just, in a pastoral tone, put this in front of you? Stop taking that lightly. Stop taking your sanctification lightly. This matters. And, and, and we can get into fear and trembling like it's Phobos. No, no, hear me. Listen, um, you should care about this. This should concern you. Uh, because we're up north, I'll tell you this story real quick. I, was, um, I decided uh, six years ago, uh, my, that bu- same buddy that um, we went to church together, he's a firefighter now, and he has four firefighter friends that were gonna run the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim, okay? So I was like, yeah, I could do that, okay? So they had been training. I was like, let's do this. Um, so I like ran a couple miles to prepare for it, but I was like, whatever, we'll, get, we'll be fine, right? Well, I wasn't fine. So we ran rim to rim. We started on the south rim, ran up, ran up to the north rim. It was about a mile from the north rim. And uh, I start feeling super like lightheaded. Uh, they take these elevation sickness pills. I'm like, hey, nobody told me about no elevation sickness pills. So I stop about a mile from the top. I watch them do the kickbacks. And it's, we started at six at night. We were going to hike through the night and then uh, get back in the, the morning. And so I see them go to the kickbacks and I just see their headlights going, 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 gone. In that moment, I think to myself, I'm going to die. Now it's cold. And so I decide I'm just going to hike down to the the bottom of the canyon, the Grand Canyon again, so I can get warm. And as I get warm, uh, I'll just wait for them down there. The problem was um, I'm starting to trip out. I'm thinking I'm going to die. And so I get to the bottom. I don't remember this, uh, uh, but there was a shack there that apparently sold kind of like snack foods or something at the bottom. I don't remember that there. So I sat down on this bench. I looked behind and somehow there was a shack behind me. Okay. And in my mind, I thought someone's in there and they're going to kill me. Now, Keep in mind, I am taking an ibuprofen, I don't know, or an Advil every hour, um, every hour. I take my food out of my backpack and I just think, 
I've got to get out of here. I remove all of my food, except the ibuprofen, or except the uh, Advil. I put it on the table, and I just start to run for the, the south rim. And I'm just running, right? And I lose my mind, okay? I could tell you stories of stuff that happened. I end up getting to the, north rim, or to the, the south rim on the shuttle, and uh, I get on the bus. The shuttle's got to take you back to the car. It's about a 20-minute ride. He's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm fine. I get down to like, because I feel like I'm going to throw up, and then I wake up in the hospital. Um, so, so, right? Okay, here's my point. Well, what happened was two years ago, two years ago, some of the guys in our church were like, dude, I want to run the canyon. I want to run the Grand Canyon, right? And I hear, I grab them like on uh, Billy Madison. I was like, don't you ever say that again, okay? <laughs> right? So they decide, well, what do you want it? So I was like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm down. Let's run the Grand Canyon, but we're only doing rim to rim. We're going to do the rim to rim deal. But I go all out, right? I'm wearing like six backpacks because I'm ready. I will never run out of food, right? I got water in my socks just in case I need to drain it. Like I'm ready to go because what had happened was I didn't take it serious and it almost killed me. But what ends up happening is I saw that and I was able to look at that moment. Hear me, you're not gonna have the option at the end of your days to go, man, at least I get to try that again. You're gonna wish you would have taken sanctification more serious. You're gonna look back on your life and go, man, I should have been all in. And hear me, this is possible. This isn't some youthful angst. No, hear me, being all in for Jesus is possible. Being obedient is possible. Allowing the spirit to sanctify you is possible. Allowing him to make you who he's already made you is possible. It's possible. So verse 15 or verse 14 then ends up um, changing the tone a little bit. If you haven't recognized Philippians, in my opinion, since we've planted or any book I've ever taught through is the hardest book to find a train of thought. The apostle Paul is like everywhere. And so it feels like he changes, turns a corner a little bit, but I think there's some um, congruence to what he's going to say. And I think he begins to give us some tangible examples as to what this looks like. If we're to be obedient and we're to be sanctified as we're working at our salvation with fear and trembling, this is what he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, if you were here last week, this sounds super, super similar to the language uh, that um, is opposite of the way that Jesus is described, right? He's laying himself down. He's not complaining. That's what you think of as someone who puts himself in a lower place as a servant. Uh, but, but what's interesting about the two words here is in response, the beginning of verse 14, the word do, and uh, verse 12, the word work out, are the only two, what they're called imperatives, the only two times in our whole passage where the Bible's telling you to do something. The first thing is to work out your salvation, to kind of passively allow God to move in you or be active in wanting him to do what, what, what uh, he wants to do within you. And then this other is the, the word do. And, and it's an example to say, do all these things, everything that you do without uh, grumbling or without compl- uh, uh, disputing. And I would love to unpack these, but because of time, I don't have too much time. I will just say this. The word disputing, um, I honestly didn't realize now I had so many Greek words I was going to quote to you guys. I sound like a jerk, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the word disputing in Greek is where we get our word dialogue from, but in the negative, it's dialogazomai. It's, it's the idea that um, you're on Facebook and you're arguing with someone or you're on Reddit or some kind of social media platform and you're arguing with someone and the Bible is saying, stop doing that. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Verse 15, okay? 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without, uh, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. So he gives us, this is counter. So I want you to hear this. So in the part of, let's kind of connect all the train of thoughts. We see Jesus and seeing what Jesus has done, we respond to Jesus. We're working out to be more like Christ in the way that he wants us to be. A tangible way is we don't grumble, we don't complain, we don't dispute, we don't argue because that's counter to the rest of the world. And he uses two words here, which are really interested, interesting, a crooked and twisted generation. So here's what's beautiful about Christianity that I think we forget. And I wasn't taught until about five years ago. What Christianity and what Christ is doing in you is teaching you to be human again. And this, you, you forget, like we, we forget this, that the culture and the world around us is versions of the way God has made things, but there are two words. It's real easy. It's corrupt it kind of looks like love, but it's not really love. It's twisted. It kind of, kind of looks like, like it, yeah, I guess you're having sex, but it's not really the way that God has designed it. It's, it's not what it's supposed to be in this area, uh, marriage or, or relationships, whatever it is. It's a, a twisted version of true humanity. And what, what the Holy Spirit is doing within you is making you truly human again. And when this happens, the world around us sees what true humanity is like. They see what true joy is like. And we shine, we shine amidst this twisted and corrupt generation. That people, people, people see us, the people of God, and this is how it's always meant to be as you follow the narrative of Scripture. God identifies a people to shine before the other nations. And that's what the church is to do today. Now, fortunately, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us two things that are real tangible uh, ways to help. The first one you can see in verse, 15, verse 16, it says this, if you want to do this really well, hold fast to the word of life. Okay, um, it's real, like, so I think it's pretty specific in here. Uh, let me say it like this. God has called us to pray. God has called us to fast. God has called us to evangelize, to take care of the marginalized. These are all very true. Um, and all while that is true, for us to know if we've gone off the rails to the left or the right, there's a standard that's always before the people of God, and that's the word of life. That, that the Bible will keep us where we need to be. So as we're being formed in, as we're working out our own salvation, as we're working this out, we're always comparing our political ideologies, our, our personal philosophies, our parenting styles, the way we interact with people, how I think relationships should go. We're always comparing that to the word of life. And that's keeping us uh, uh, um, in a place that is moving towards our glorification. So there's the first one. And the second one is, as he says, the word of life, he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud. I think this is uh, uh, the Apostle Paul's great reminder of another good thing that would be helpful is live for the end. Like as Christ continues to shape you, remember um, this age is a facade that, that, that this, and this is I think the why uh, Jesus uses this age language so often, um, that as we live amongst people this age, the fads of this world will go away, but we recognize at the consummation of all things, I need to live for that. I need to operate as that. I need to be a mom in that way, a dad in that way. I need to run a business in that way. I need to be a neighbor in that way. And these two things help us. One, keeping our eyes on the prize and living for the end of days, and at the same time, holding fast to the word of life. So I think to the best of my ability, that's how we can understand this very famous work out your salvation. Now, um, there's two words that I, I think are important for me to finish with our time together. Then I want to read the last big section of verses. Um, because the, the last, the two words that I, I didn't unpack in this work out your salvation is the two words, work out your own salvation. 
And here's why this is interesting. When you hear the word words, your own, everything I've set up to this point, you hear as your own. It's Vince's, it's Al's, it's Sherry's, it's, it's your salvation. You need to work out your own salvation. Unfortunately, we're dropping another Greek bomb, okay? Um, here's the problem with the English language. The English language does not have a plural you. Unless you're in New York, yous or Texas, y'all, there's no plural you. And so when I say, hey, you, you, I could be talking to all of you or I could be talking to one of you, you, you don't know. And when I say your, I could be talking to your, all of yours, or I could be talking to your, just one of yours, right? And so it's really confusing. The Greek does not allow us to, to get uh, uh, bypassed by that with those discrepancies. What the Greek does is it gives and it attaches a singular or multiple, first, second, uh, uh, third voice, all that different stuff. And so in this moment, when you hear your own, you're thinking individualistic, like a good American. Unfortunately, what you need to hear is this is in the plural. Matter of fact, 95% of the time you read the word you in the Bible, it's in the plural. Very rarely are you going to find a you referring individualistically to you. And this is something we can't gloss over because what the Apostle Paul is telling a people is work this out together. You're not on an island. You're not being shaped into the image of Christ for one day to be glorified by yourself. No, hear me. We like to use the language a lot. It's easy to hate from a distance. Like we can be on the other side of a keyboard and hate from a distance. We can hate people we don't know. Hear me. It's really difficult to be loved up close. It is because they know you. Like I'm going to go home and my wife's not impressed. She knows me. She washes my laundry, right? Like, like this is, that sounded very sexist. That's not what I meant. My point is, my, my, my point was that she sees like everything that nobody else sees, right? Like I sleep in my box. She sees like, no way. Like, hey, like she sees who I am. And so to, to be close up to someone is to, to know and recognize, man, you're hiding right now. That's a facade. You're pretending you're using humor to deflect being called out right now, or you're not being encouraged. And so what you do is you try to work out your salvation on your own. Hear me sanctification is a community project and you're not doing this on your own. God has not asked you to do it on your own. And so as people suffer around you, you're called as a believer to suffer with them. Hear me, as you suffer, you are meant, designed, created as you are in the church for your brothers and sisters to rally around you, to be encouraged, to be rebuked. Uh, the list goes on and on, to be loved, to be served. This is a community project. To be shaped in the image of Christ is a community project. And the Apostle Paul actually gives us three things that we can see of what this looks like, and that's where I'll finish. I want you to look at verse 17. First, the Apostle Paul. Listen to how Paul describes his love for this church. Even, as, uh, even if I am uh, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Hear that language? Like, he's not just like, hey, cool, I'm glad you guys are doing your thing, I'm just here. No, 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 I'm being poured out for you. I, I care for you. And then he describes two men, specifically uh, uh, Timothy and then uh, uh, Paphrodites. Listen to how he describes Timothy in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, as so uh, to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
for uh, they all seek your own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with you in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly, shortly I myself will come also. Big portions of text, but then he moves to Epaphrodites. Listen to verse 25. It says this, I have uh, thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, get it, and your gospel and minister uh, to my need, for he has been longing for you all and, been, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God has mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, uh, on me also, lest I should uh, have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send to you, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So let's just, that's a big section of verses I know, but here's where I want to finish. Let me just ask you this question. Who is in your life that rejoices in your faith in verse 17? Who is in your life uh, uh, that you rejoice in their faith in verse 18? Who is in your life that is genuinely concerned for your welfare? Verse uh, 20. Look at verse 25. Who is in your life that you can say is a fellow brother and sister, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier in the faith? They're not just playing games. They're not just playing games. They're in this together. They're working this out together. I've got you. You've got me. We're not on an island. Sanctification is a community project. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace. Um, thanks for the ability to read the word in a way that moves us towards that direction. We do, we, we want to um, hear your voice and we want to be active in constantly being passive. We want to we be active in constantly submitting ourselves to what you want to do within us. And so we ask that you would um, transform our minds to submit to you, that uh, we would transform our hearts to submit to you, that you would you'd begin to move our hearts in ways that our ideas in ways, philosophies, whatever it is. I pray, God, that you would continue to cut away the sins that we hold really close to the vest. I pray that you'd begin to move us in the direction of glorification and that we would walk this very difficult road of sanctification together. Help us in that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.